Please join me in the book of Titus, chapter number one. And I just feel strongly we need to roll back to verse number five, not to do an in-depth teaching of all the things we talked about last session, but we really have to have this in our pocket before we push into the next part, because this is the reason for the next part. So verse number five says, this is why I left you in Crete. So Titus was dropped off at Crete by the Apostle Paul, probably in the very early part of 63. And uh, the reason he's supposed to be working there is this, so that you might put what remained into order. Appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So the church seems to exist, at least in some form or fashion, at Crete already. But it needs more. It needs to be made deeper and wider and stronger. And that means spiritual leaders. That means elders. That means uh, overseers. That means shepherds. All these different uh, uh, words that we use for the same spiritual leadership position in these congregations. Then he starts describing them. We could call these qualifications because if you don't have them, you should be disqualified, that's sure. Uh, But I like to think of them more as the qualities or the description of the right guys to be put into those positions. So let's speed through them. And if you need more in depth, go back to last session or even better, go back to the session uh, of 1 Timothy chapter 3 which deal with these words. If anyone is above reproach, that is, they're not indictable, they don't have things people could grab onto as uh, complaints why these people shouldn't be in leadership. The husband of one wife, meaning a man that is honestly, genuinely devoted to his wife, doesn't cheat on her. His children are trustworthy or faithful and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, meaning his minor kids, the ones that are still under his household, they behave themselves appropriately. They aren't wild and uncontrolled. They are not uh, juvenile delinquents. Uh, And uh, when Paul's writing to Timothy about this, he says, How can a person that can't take care of his own kids, his own household, well, be expected to do that for the larger church? It just doesn't follow. If if you can't do it in the smaller environment, how are you going to do it in the bigger environment? Verse 7, for an overseer as God's steward, so the supervisor, the one that's taken care of things in the local church, the local congregation, for Jesus who died for these people, that leader has to be above reproach. So that's repeated, very important. He must not be arrogant, so don't pick people that are full of themselves. Or quick-tempered, don't get people that fly off the handle easily. Or a drunkard, oh my goodness, You certainly don't want to pick people that have 
an addiction problem that is active and uh, present right now. Or violent, man, you don't want abusive people uh, in leadership. And uh, physical abuse, definitely not. I think verbal abuse is and, and mental abuse, not a good idea either uh, to uh, let uh, leadership have uh, uh, as leaders in the church. Or greedy for gain. Uh, some of these people are going to be the preachers in the church. I remember Paul talked to Timothy and said, you know, that the the elders of a church are worthy of double honor, which seems to hint at uh, payment of some sort, especially those whose jobs are preaching and teaching. Uh, so you don't want someone uh, that's only thinking about the cash uh, that they can accumulate to themselves uh, through religious things, through church things. I was astounded, taken aback uh, in one of my classes in undergraduate school. So this goes way back in time, folks. This is back in the 19... Uh, it must have been later 79 or maybe early 80 for the class that I was taking. The professor uh, showed us uh, something that he'd come across uh, where a congregation was hiring someone off on the East Coast somewhere, and I don't even remember what denomination it was, uh, but in the contract it said that the preacher would be paid a $1,000 bonus for every new member he brought into the congregation. And we were like, what? Man, if, if anything would cause someone to be mercenary in their approach to ministry, that would be it. Uh, that was definitely going to appeal to people that were greedy for gain. And so Paul says, nope, you don't want anybody like that in spiritual leadership in the church. Instead, this is what you need, verse 8, hospitable, that is a lover of strangers, uh, looking out for what's best for people, even people they don't know yet. A lover of good, you know, doing what's right. They should love doing what's right. Self-controlled, which is one of the major fruits of the Spirit. Uh, you need spiritual leaders that are stable. They are in control, upright, uh, holy. Uh, this idea that they are doing things God's way. That's what you want to see. Disciplined. Uh, they have a disciplined approach to their personal life. They have a disciplined approach to their spiritual leadership life. And then verse number nine, which is the transition point uh, that we closed on last time, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. This is the written word of God. This is God's inspired word that these guys have been taught. They need to stick with it so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. So one of the responsibilities of the spiritual leadership is to teach. You'll actually see that in the parallel in 1 Timothy chapter 3. They have to be able to pass the word of God along intact as intended, which means a lot of study and a lot of prayer and a lot of processing and a lot of application to self before making application to other people. 
So they need to be able to do that and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Because there's always going to be problems come up in churches with false leaders, troublemakers, uh, people that creep in and want to steal the liberty of the individual believers, just like the Judaizers did. And so the, the man of God must be adequate, equipped for that uh, ahead of time so that they can put an end to false teaching as soon as it rears its ugly head. Because, verse 10, and this is the new information that we're studying today, but it is based on what we already read. For there are many who are insubordinate. That is, they are rebellious against God's way of doing things. Empty talkers. They'll do the verbs. They'll do the nouns. They'll do the phrases. They'll do all that talking. Yak, 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 yak. But it is devoid of depth. It is missing the, the word of God element. And this is something that definitely bothers me as a preacher when I, I see some people proposing themselves as preachers, but they hardly ever talk about the word of God. Their sermons, if you can call that, is usually a tiny little bitty snippet of scripture, and the rest of it is fill from philosophy and and current um, culture uh, sorts of things, and it is it's it's candy. It is it is just tickling the ears, as Paul later writes uh, to Timothy in First Timothy uh, chapter number four, and it's not good. And uh, we need to get people out of spiritual leadership that are doing that sort of stuff. And deceivers, he says. That is, those that are trying to sidetrack people. Especially those of the circumcision party. Now that tells me uh, that here's Paul, probably in later 63. Uh, he's been battling the Judaizers since 47. So a good 15 or so years, these Judaizers uh, who were Jewish believers in Jesus, purportedly, that were going around saying, all the Gentiles have to be circumcised and keep the Mosaic law according to Pharisaic standards. Those guys are still problems in the first century church. Uh, Paul wrote his Galatian letter, uh, with great uh, concern over these guys. And he kind of mentions uh, aspects of, of the uh, Judaizer party in most of his letters. So it must have been still widespread. Uh, but here he warns Titus, you know, one of the reasons you got to put good, solid uh, spiritual leaders in position there on Crete is because there are troublemakers out there, including these Judaizers. Verse number 11, they must be silenced. You've got to be able to rebuke them from the word of God. 
since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what ought not to be taught. Uh, so they are part of the of the of the group that's out there making a buck, uh, fleecing the sheep, uh, preaching a shallow gospel in the hopes of lining their own pockets, but also having, you know, control of people's minds. Uh, you remember all the things that Paul wrote to the to the Corinthians about the personality cult leaders. Uh, these guys that were uh, just teaching what they taught because it gave them more power. And Paul says, you, Titus, you've got to get, put good guys in place that'll stick with the Word of God because we've already got enough problems out there. Now, verse 12, he, he engages in a little stereotypical um, maybe tongue-in-cheek humor, I suppose, uh, by quoting from uh, a, a Greek author uh, from Crete from a few centuries before, I think. Uh, verse number 12, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, quote, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. So that was an evaluation by a Cretan philosopher several centuries earlier. And Paul grabs a hold of that and kind of uses it as a launching point to tell uh, Titus, you're going to have a tough road to hoe because you're going to run across some people that do seem to be exactly like this author states they are. They're on Crete. They're going to be liars. They're going to be evil beasts. And they're going to be lazy gluttons, only looking out for themselves. Verse 13 this testimony is true. Uh, that's the little tongue-in-cheek, I think, here. Because even these philosophers, when they wrote these things, they knew it was not universal about every single person living on the Isle of Crete. It was just a significant number of them, enough to make it work as a stereotypical uh, statement. So, this testimony is true. Therefore, when you come across people like this, therefore, rebuke them sharply. Be strong when you come across them, that they may be sound in the faith. So the goal is not to stomp all over them and grind them into the dust. It is, if any of these guys, these Cretans, come up like this, then you need to jump right on top of them with the word of God and help them get healthy in the faith. Uh, you know, when we find people that are sick, we don't want to just simply throw them off to the side to keep them from infecting everybody else. And, and we don't even worry about them. We just think they're a problem. They need to be removed. Instead, we need to be thinking those poor people have been infected with bad stuff. We need to help them get healthy. Well, that's the same tact that we're supposed to be taking in the church. You know, church discipline is about trying to fix the person's problem. That's why you go to them privately to begin with. And if it doesn't fix it, 
You go to them privately with a few more people, and you plead with them, you pray over them, you try everything to fix their problem, and it's only when they remain resistant to that fix that you have to take them out of the equation. You have to move them out of the church. You have to excommunicate them because you don't want them infecting the rest of the church with that. You basically isolate them. And even then, what's your goal? Your goal is that they will suddenly realize how serious this is and then submit to help. And of course, Paul taught when he was dealing with this issue to the Corinthians, once they repent, bring them back in get them back in and get them healthy and help them find their place in the family again. And so that's where that's where Paul is with Titus here. He says, if you run across some of these Cretans that are engaging in false teaching and false belief, then you need to rebuke them. You need to let them know from the Word of God where they've gone wrong because you want them to be healthy in the faith instead. Uh, verse 14, what are they not supposed to be doing? Not devoting themselves to Jewish myths. Now, the word myths can kind of be a little bit misleading for us here. Muthos is, it's a Greek word. That's where we get the word myth from. And it means fictions. Now, a lot of the myths, yes, those are fictional stories, right? But there are a lot of other fictional stories out there. Uh, rumors and propaganda uh, and part of that would be this Judaizing myth that all Gentiles have to convert to Judaism to be saved. And so Paul wants that stopped on the island of Crete. Don't let that get a foothold there, Titus. Uh, and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. That is, and the truth, of course, is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so we preachers, because this, this letter is really impactful upon us preachers, we preachers have got to keep people focused on Jesus and on his word. Now, verse 15 is a little bit of a, a, a comment on the Judaizing issue, because Judaizing was all about, hey, these Gentiles, they have to convert to Judaism, which means that they have to keep kosher. They can't eat certain foods. They have to keep the Jewish practices. They have to wash their hands in a certain way. They have to immerse themselves in a mikra. Uh, every time they come into ceremonial defilement, uh, they have to uh, go to the high holy days and offer the sacrifices and all these other... They have to be Jewish in order to be saved. Well, Paul says about that sort of mindset this, verse 15, to the pure, all things are pure. To the deviled and the unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. So basically, Paul is saying these Judaizer guys, they are like way off target. They have gotten way off base because everywhere they look, they see defilement. Everywhere they look, they see non-kosher stuff, and that stuff needs to be stopped. That's their goal. You've heard the silly saying, uh, to people who think of themselves as hammers, everything looks like a nail, right? 
It's got to be fixed by me in this way. And so Paul uh, says, you know, people are sometimes like that, uh, Titus, uh, but you need to stop that. You need to keep them from becoming a problem in the church. Uh, Verse 16, a little bit more about these guys. They profess to know God, and that's always been uh, something critiqued in Scripture. Uh, Isaiah talked about it, and Jesus repeated it uh, when he was dealing with the Pharisees. Uh, they, uh, they, They honor me with their lips, that is, they verbalize praise and worship toward me, but their hearts are far from me. Their core is not on track. And so here's Paul phrasing it in this way. They profess to know God, so they verbalize the wording, but they deny him by their works. You've heard me say repeatedly, repentance is the change of the mind, which necessitates then a change of actions. And so that's true repentance. Uh, We need to bring our profession of faith into our action of faith. And so that's uh, one of Titus's tasks here by the Apostle Paul is these guys profess to know God, but they don't. And you can tell that by their works. Uh, They are detestable. That is, they kind of make you sick to your stomach. Uh, Disobedient and it's disobedient to God and God's word, and unfit for any good work. Uh, And you remember that Paul has written in his Ephesian letter uh, that we have been prepared by God before the foundation of the world, world to do good works, to walk in good works that he's prepared for us to do. And so we Christians, uh, we, we... carry out God's work on earth because we've repented. Well, these guys haven't, and so they can't get the job done uh, because they are sidetracked. And we don't want that in the church. We don't need that in the church. Chapter number two, but as for you, all right, so Titus, you are in stark contrast to these false teachers, these Judaizer types. As for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. There's that wording again, healthy doctrine. Older men, and uh, the word here uh, is the word for elder, but it's not in the sense that we've just been recently using it as an official position within a local church. So these are not the elder spiritual leaders. These are not the overseers. These are not the pastor teacher types. This is older men, I would guess, probably in the the cultural sense of uh, of the Jews over the age of 50. So think about all those people that have reached that 50th year of their life as being the ones targeted uh, by these words that Titus is supposed to pass on. Older men are to be sober-minded, so they should have their head screwed on straight. 
They should be stable in the way they think about things, dignified, respectable in the way that they govern their lives. And speaking of governing their lives, they should be self-controlled. Well, by the time you hit 50, I certainly hope you've got yourself under control. And sound in faith, that is healthy, spiritually healthy in faith, uh, and that's the belief in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but also in their faithfulness, I suppose, in their trustworthiness, in love, and this is, uh, this is that agape love again, uh, uh, they should be um, representing uh, this, this self-sacrificing love, uh, the love that looks out for the other people uh, regardless of the cost to themselves. You know, the love that Jesus talks about. No greater love has anyone than this to lay down their life for a friend. And so Jesus did that to show his love the older gentlemen in the congregation, they should be matured to that point as well. And to steadfastness, the stick to They are hanging in there. And certainly, uh, after you're in your 50s and 60s, 70s and beyond, you sure, certainly should be mature as a Christian and hang in there. Uh, verse number 30 now flips the gender over to the ladies in the congregation that are probably in their 50s and 60s and beyond. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior. That is, uh, to be um, thoughtful of God and God's way of doing things uh, in what they do. Uh, not slanderers, so we go to some negatives to illustrate the positive. Uh, a slanderer is a person that goes around saying things that they shouldn't be saying. Uh, they might be true, but they would be an inappropriate. And if they're not true, they're definitely inappropriate. Uh, or slaves to much wine. We keep seeing that brought up, right? Uh, that people that get addicted uh, to mind-altering substances like alcohol, or nowadays we've got tons of other uh, of, of addicted, addictive uh, drugs that are available out there. You do not want people who are slaved to that sort of change in their lifestyle because of uh, these mind-altering substances. And you especially don't want to see that in your later, in your older ladies. Uh, you want stability by that time. And you really need it because this, this older generation needs to be teaching and preparing the younger generation. And when we come back next session, we'll see what Paul wants these older ladies doing for the benefit of the younger ladies in the congregation.